Yo, Eagles Nation, stand up. Yo, how'd Barkley put it? <laughs> Looking like another grease pole night in Philly. 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 Facts. Yo, welcome. Episode 23 of the Grease Pole Podcast. Appreciate you taking part. As always, you can follow along on Instagram. At Grease Paul Podcast, all episodes are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe, rate, and review. Give it five stars if that's what you feel. If you feel it deserves one star, give it that. Any input is better than zero input. Appreciate it. Um, lot, lot to get into after uh, <laughs> games like yesterday. Kids are the reason. Not to get too political, but that is the reason why abortion should be legal. Is yesterday's game between the Birds and Bengals ton to get into on that obvi before we scratch the surface on that bullshit though justin we have a new episode of gear freaks dropping tomorrow do we not yeah what uh we basically did the episode before this we did (laughs) i we i mean we we kind of did man we we do it every week basically we should start we should charge people for off-air conversations (laughs) that's right because it's basically what you get on Gear Freaks, only like way, way, there are no parameters in those conversations. Right. We just go all over the fucking place. And if we don't, if one of us doesn't go, hey, we should do X, Y, or Z. Right. It will go forever. <laughs> exactly. We will be here literally until the sun comes up and old people invade Hardy's at five in the morning to sit mm-hmm. there and die. Um, we have the Seattle Kraken, though, coming this week. Yes. So... And I'm pretty excited that because I put out a, hey, this is what's coming. Actually, I put it out on my Patreon, patreon.com slash oh, hi, Justin. Uh, get there, people. You get it a full day before the rest of the world. So I put it out on the Patreon, and that's why Joe in the Discord, you should join our Discord. You definitely should. Everybody. Uh, he was like, man, I wish I could have been on the Kraken episode. <laughs> Here's a way, folks, if you are interested in chopping it up with us while we do Gear Freaks Live. Get in the Discord. That's all you got to do. Just ask us for a link. We'll we'll shoot a link to you. But like, yeah, the Kraken's coming out tomorrow, and I'm pretty excited because yeah, we managed to talk for 20 minutes about a team that doesn't exist. They don't even have players. Nothing. They don't even have players. All they have is just a logo, uh, some hypothetical gear that eventually will become real gear, and we rambled for 20 minutes about them. But it was fun. It yes. always is. It always. always is. And I I, I discovered, I don't want to give away too much here because kids go listen, follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Gear Freaks Pod. I, uh, I broke my cardinal rule again in terms of color on that episode. Mm-hmm. Jersey color, by the way, kids. Not Don't be assholes. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm not, I'm not that guy, okay? So, yeah, man, I... Uh, I still kind of can't believe I did that, but the more I look at him, though, I think it's the right move, man. Yeah. I think yeah. it's the right move. Yeah, it was right. It is. It was I'm, the right call. 
It was. I just and now I'm like, okay, we need this expansion draft needs to happen. Yeah. Because I'd like to buy I'd like to buy a sweater, please. Right. <laughs> I want Kraken gear fucking now. I don't want to wait. I'm not I'm not going to be the guy that buys a blank hockey sweater. I know, right? You know? Remember like late 90s when you get like the Avon <laughs> magazine? I don't think they ever sold hockey sweaters in Avon, but is Avon even still around? What the f- I have no idea. The fuck are they trading under now? You know? They have what is that? Lulu Row? I <laughs> <laughs> got hockey sweaters. <laughs> right when the fucking old lady would come over to your house smelling like lotions and give your mom this magazine but now like when you could they would send you the gear this was pre-internet there was internet but it's not at everybody's fingertips back then the way it is now you could buy hockey gear but it would be just straight blank ones mm-hmm. and i haven't really delved into like what cracking gear is available yet i did buy a t-shirt I did buy a T-shirt. You're one step ahead of me. Not the same as a not the same as a sweater not though. Even like close. I want one. I want to wear one. <laughs> I want to wear one, man. They're cool. Well, we we talk about a lot about not being able to wear wear basketball gear. A lot, but neither hockey sweaters. We can pull it off. <laughs> Those are our. Team. We can pull it off. We prefer hockey sweaters. The That's basketball right. ones. It's which is sad because if I could pull off basketball gear, there's a lot. Oh, dude, I would load up. Mm-hmm. But it's just it. You can't, you know, when you when you go to make biscuits and you pop the thing mm-hmm. and it scares you and the dough pops out. Yeah. That's what I look like in a basketball. <laughs> like, I just, I can't, I, I'm not going to Pillsbury in public, man. I'm not. And if I'm not going <laughs> to wear it in public, right, the hell is the point of doing it? That's right. So, Seattle Kraken episode drops tomorrow, kids. Again, subscribe, rate, and review to the Gear Freaks pod as well. Justin and I, uh... Rent and rave for you. New episodes drop every Tuesday. It's always a fun listen. Be sure to check it out. Hopefully, this will be a fun listen to episode 23 of the Gear Freaks pod. Probably not. I'm probably going to come off as a fucking Zoloft egg for the duration of this thing. You know, birds tied yesterday to the Bengals, 23 to 23. And it really, you know what, man? It really set into me yesterday when... The game. I just stared there blankly. Like, it was a clockwork orange experience. I felt like Alex DeLarge staring at this fucking shit. And so yesterday, amongst packing up everything that we own and the entire house basically looking like a fucking box outlet of UPS U-Haul, you know, the wife's birthday was on Thursday. So, okay, last kind of hurrah at the current house before we hopefully move October 16th to close on this house. If all goes well, knock on wood. Kind of last deal. Okay, birds and bangles, you know, the wife, her family from that area, Bengals fans, your boy, clearly. This game only happens once a year, or excuse me, once every four years. Let's do a thing. The wife wanted to kind of have a get-together for, for the game. Let's do it. So as the smoke clears after the game and, you know, okay, let me let me pick up around the house a little bit. You know, your boy goes out, cigarette time now, smoke break, and the people that live across the street from us are Cleveland Browns fans. They're from Ohio. Um I do not know the state of Ohio that well geographically. So they're from a different part of Ohio, I guess, than the in-laws are from. That is why they are Browns fans. And they're also Ohio State fans, which fuck them for that. And it makes it really fun when college football season rolls around and you can hurl insults at it from across the street when Penn State has a better record than they do or the same record as they do until Penn State plays Ohio State and they beat the fuck out of us. 
So go out, smoke break. And I'm just I'm I'm in my feelers, man. I'm I'm PMSing. I'm fucking depressed. God damn it. We're we're 0 2 and 1. Now we got the hockey loss column now in our record for the rest of this year. Fucking hell. Go outside, man, and the Browns fans across the street, I hear them in the backyard happy. <laughs> just the the father, the wife, and the kids all just chucking, you know, yucking it up in the backyard. And I remember thinking to myself, God damn it, the Browns have a better record than we do. What I mean, and I'm not like not wishing any happiness on anybody, but in that moment, I did not want them to be happy. I wanted everybody to feel my misery <laughs> as we just gave, literally gave a game away that I don't know that we would have won, but at least it wouldn't have hurt it to fucking try, right? So going back to last week, you know, we tried to t- I tried to tell you about this Bengals offense. It had been clicking more so than the Birds offense. All right, don't fall for laundry. I get it's become fun to make fun of the Bengals, even though the fact they made the playoffs five straight times, straight years in the 2010s throughout that decade. They become whatever in the past couple years. You know, they picked first overall for a reason, right? Don't fall for laundry, man. Okay, this is not – again, the Bengals are on the come. If, if you're if, – if, if these two teams that played yesterday were a stock – their arrow was up, our arrow was down, okay? Take that for what it is. It's the fucking truth. Try to tell you about this Bengals offense. It's clicking more so than ours right now. Joe Burrow and those guys. And, you know, he went come out yesterday, 31-44, 312 yards, two touchdowns, both of them to T. Higgins. You know, he, he got his ass beat, but he looked good doing it. He looked good doing it. Joe Burrow's a guy that's willing to stand in there and deliver. You know, he showed you that yesterday, even though Malik Jackson almost fucking murdered him on the field. So, before we delve into the minutia, let's touch on the positives, okay, from yesterday's game. The Birds sacked Burrow eight times. Now, keep in mind, this Cincinnati offensive line is is less than ideal, okay? And they do not – they don't have the injury excuse that we do, okay? And even again, that – I'm not willing to buy that as so much of an excuse. This is the reason why you should keep your your offensive line cupboard stocked with depth a little bit more so than Howie Roseman has, okay? But the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line, we had Frank LaPlaca on uh, on Friday, special episode, episode 22. He was a, He's the host of the Unofficial Bengals podcast. We talked to him about Jonah Williams, who was the 11th overall pick last year. Uh, of the Bengals in the 2019 draft. And, and you know, he had said that he'd be, he's been leaky in pass pro this year, and you saw that yesterday. Gave up a couple sacks. This Bengals offensive line, the pocket was caving in around Burrow constantly. Bobby Hart has no business as a starting tackle in the NFL. He does not. And, you know, you saw Billy Price out there. He's a guy that, that struggles to stay on the field and, and play at center when he was a first-round pick, I think 21st overall. In 2018, if you spent a first-round pick on a center, goddamn, he should at least be out there. So point being, you know, I'm not going to break down the Bengals' offensive line again, but point being, this is an offensive line that is in shambles, okay? So let's take that into consideration when we say that the Birds sacked Joe Burrow eight times yesterday. And again, that's what you're supposed to do. If there's a, This is a game of matchups, football is. If you can, and they're won and lost in the trenches, we had that advantage when the Bengals had the ball, our defensive front, a strength of this team up against a weakness of theirs. 
So that individual battle clearly was won by the Birds after sacking Joe Burrow eight times. Darius Slay is awesome. Love that guy. If there is a bright spot for this team on defense, I think he's it. He is as good as advertised. You know, it's great that we extended him. Maybe he'll be here for a season when we're worth a shit because this doesn't appear to be it, at least as of right now. But again, love seeing that the free agent number 24 is not a curse that has been passed on from Namdi fucking Asamoah. <clears throat> Nikel Roby Coleman, through these first three games, it grades out as one of the best slot corners in the league, you know, going up this past offseason, which is why we brought him in. He hasn't been maybe exactly what Eagles fans would have wanted throughout the entire three games. But, you know, he made a huge play on a on a second and 16, breaking up a would-be reception by T. Higgins on the first play following the two-minute warning in overtime. That play right there, it, it, it gave the Birds a chance to win this game. It gave the Birds a chance to win the game, you know, to get the ball back anyway. You know what I mean? As overtime winded down. Huge play by Nicole Roby Coleman there. And this is where I want to transition to the hot-button issues of the last 24 hours among this fan base, okay? And you, you guys know I'm a Wentz guy, okay? I'm a Wentz apologist. I, I planted my flag there next to him, and, and there I still stand for now. And you can say what you want, but that seven-yard touchdown run by Wentz yesterday, that's him putting the team on his back. That is him putting the team on his back to force overtime. He had nobody open. You tuck and run for the game-tying score. Altogether, Carson finished with 65 yards on the ground. His numbers in the fourth quarter and overtime, 60% completion, still a little low. We'll get into that. 102 yards and a touchdown. So, again, when it, when it really, really mattered, that clutch time, he picked it up a little bit. He picked it up a little bit. But, again, you can argue should have never even been in that situation. And, you know, I'm not going to argue with you entirely. That's for damn sure. Uh, Great throw by Carson Wentz to Zach Ertz with about 450 left remaining in overtime. He drops a dime over the shoulder of Zach Ertz. Darius Phillips, the corner for Cincinnati, is right there. Wentz put it to where only Zach Ertz can catch it. Great play. You love, again, Wentz is – Accuracy is an issue with him, clearly. Has been, still is. And it's crazy because there's a play that he missed that we'll get into here in a second. And then he comes around, he turns around, and he makes that play. He makes that throw to Zach Ertz and just drops it right in there for him to where nobody else can get it but 86. Miles Sanders is a fucking playmaker. I've told you about him since the preseason. Again, if you're an Eagles fan, you knew about him. I've been watching this guy going back to Penn State. He can do everything. He can do everything. He is the most dangerous guy, especially with Jalen Rager out. He's the most dangerous guy on this offense if you subtract Rager and the tight end. Miles Sanders has every bit the talent to be a top five, top ten running back in this league. Every bit the talent. The Bengals weren't able to really slow him down yesterday. They really weren't. 18 carries, 95 yards, 5.3 yards per carry for Miles Sanders yesterday. But he was never really – he wasn't really given a chance to take over the game. He wasn't given a chance to take over the game. 
you know, if you, if you look at the play calling again with Doug Peterson, it's been an issue. It's been an issue. Why are you only giving – this game was never out of reach. Miles Sanders should have with run at 5.3 yards a clip. To only give this guy the ball 18 times is fucking preposterous. You got – you keep – and I get the committee thing, okay, whatever. Why the fuck are we putting Boston Scott in there when when you have, okay, you want to give him a breather maybe? Miles Sanders, that's fine. But when you have a running a guy that's running the ball like that, to put in Boston Scott when he's barely moving the fucking ball, why? Why? Leave Miles Sanders out there. This is a guy that came out in the offseason and said, man, I could be the MVP of this league. He missed the first game of the year with injuries. Feed him. He wants the ball. You can tell. Give him the rock. Pound him the entire way down the field. Pound the defense into submission. Let him run the ball down their fucking throat. Point blank. But Peterson can't help it because he's pass happy as shit. So, again, I – Love Miles Sanders, man, and I hate that they did not give him an opportunity to take this game over because he deserved it. And I think if he did have that opportunity, it would have been a different outcome. Segway to the negatives. Dallas Goddard leaves the game early with an ankle injury. Uh, set to go undergo an MRI today. He should miss, quote-unquote, some time. Um, just huge loss, huge loss for the offense. Again, I, I'm a Goddard guy, love his game. He's dirty work guy at tight end, and it, it, if he misses any significant time, that's great if you got Zach Ertz on your fantasy team, but let's let's deal in reality. This offense is better with Dallas Goddard, clearly. When you have two of the best tight ends in the league and you can roll those double tight end sets out and you can use Goddard as, as, as a pass blocker, as a run blocker, he's willing to do it. This offense is not going to be the same without Dallas Goddard, and it hasn't been that fucking impressive to begin with through three weeks. Two more interceptions by Carson Wentz. So, again, you know, this is a guy who threw seven interceptions all of last year through 16 games. Seven. In 16 games, already up to six. Leads the league. You know, at some point, you got to play within the the structure of the play. You got to stop doing too much or trying to do too much. He missed Miles Sanders along the sideline about a, about 10 minutes, 20 seconds left in the fourth quarter. The score at the time was 20 to 16 Bengals. Miles Sanders had Akeem Davis Gaither, linebacker of Cincinnati, beat by about three, four yards. And Carson comes around. And he sails the ball over Miles Sanders' head by about three yards or so. Now that's a play. You gotta, you gotta make that throw if you're Carson. You gotta hit him. You got to hit him and hit him in stride, which is a problem. Joe Burrow can hit guys in stride better than Carson Wentz can. Joe Burrow's had three NFL games. This is Carson Wentz's fifth year. This shouldn't be – guys shouldn't have to fucking twist and turn and contort themselves all the time to catch a pass from you when you've been in the league for five years. It's an issue. It's a problem. So you put yourself in that situation again, only being down 20 to 16 – I, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy. At the time when the pe- when the play happened, I, oh, there there would have been the game. That would have given us the lead. Yeah, who fucking knows the way the game played out. You never know. But it, that he had nothing but real estate in front of him. If Wentz hits him in stride, then Miles Sanders takes it to the house. Beautiful thing. Gives the birds pending a Jake Elliott PAT. 
he gives you that play gives you a 23 to 20 lead now it's a different game you're not giving the ball back to Cincinnati and they're up by four now they have the ball and they got to play catch up with a rookie quarterback with a bad offensive line now they have to catch you so if that play is made maybe the game does play out differently I'm not going to concrete the shit and put it in Sharpie, but it's possible. You have to make that throw if you're Carson. Fucking bottom line. Now we go to the final drive of overtime, right? And this is where this is where I I I felt like I was in a fucking like like an Oliver Stone acid trip movie. Because overtime's back and forth, man. And, again, Nikel Roby Coleman makes the play we had discussed earlier, breaks up the pass from T. Higgins. Cincinnati's backed up. So now we've got a chance. We've got the ball back. We can win. Okay? You've got this goofy-ass, weird, conservative play call. Now, Doug Peterson, now he wants to run Miles Sanders. Now he does. No, you know, no no little out routes to the sideline, those staples you see in this situation when neither team has any timeouts left. The two-minute drill plays, you know what I'm saying? Out routes to the sideline, quick, seven yards, get out of bounds. Now we're running Miles Sanders to just slowly chip away. These are play this is the way you call a game in the in the second quarter, in the third quarter. When you're trying to wear the defense down when it's a one-score game, whether you're ahead or behind, that's when you do that, not when you're trying to get downfield and kick a field goal and win the game. So with the strange-ass, bizarre play calls by Peterson in that spot, it puts Jake Elliott in the spot because it, it, it almost seemed to me like, okay, we assume because he's made – and the wind was with them at the time – because Jake Elliott, the Super Bowl year, made that 61-yarder against the Giants, it's almost like now they fucking assume. And I, he had a 54-yarder early in the day, too. Jake Elliott's damn good. It's like they assumed almost the way I took it. Okay, because he made that, you know, he made the 54 earlier. He made 61 once before. So he could fucking, he could do this shit again. Why should we try to, you know, again, conservative, which is odd coming from a guy who's made a living off of, you know, who put a book out called fucking Relentless. All right. So we're now in a spot where Jake Elliott is to attempt a 59-yard field goal with 19 seconds left. Definitely doable. Not a gimme for goddamn sure. But we know Jake Elliott is a capable kicker. Matt Pryor, false start. Takes it back five yards. I could have murdered a motherfucker in that moment. So now you go from what would have been the 59-yard field goal by Jake Elliott to a 64-yarder, which with the Matt Pryor penalty, and that's that's the NFL record, 64 yards. So stupidity, false starts are is the dumbest false starts and offsides 
are the worst penalties you can get, especially false starts. You know, you know the count, you know the cadence, you know what's going. Like, how do you, how? Offsides too, watch the ball. That doesn't pertain to the birds here. Again, it's false start penalty, but it's just being undisciplined by Matt Pryor to make this, okay, false start. 59-yard and now becomes a 64-yard field goal. I want to take a bath with a toaster. You motherfuckers. So what does Doug Peterson do? It's a fourth and 12. So now instead of, and I'm thinking, okay, 19 seconds left. Neither team has a timeout left. No timeouts left by either team. 19 seconds left. Do you go for the 64-yarder or do you go for the first down? To me, in that moment, what I would have done is tried the field goal. Because I like my odds of Jake Elliott making that kick better than going for it on 4th and 12, the way the offense looked, Assuming in 19 seconds we're going to be able to get up, spike the ball, and leave time left for Jake Elliott. That's assuming we even get the first down, and if whoever catches the ball does not get out of bounds. What I do there is I kick the field goal with Jake Elliott. I give it a shot. You assume that field goal attempt is going to take, from that long, probably about six, seven seconds off the clock. So... Even if Jake Elliott misses it, you're looking at you give Burrow and the Bengals the ball back with about 12, 13 seconds left, no timeouts. They got to run a play and either clock it themselves with less time or get to the sideline, get out of bounds. And by the way, their kicker is not Jake Elliott. Their kicker is Randy Bullock who's got a beer belly from fucking hell, who missed a 31-yarder way wide right against the Chargers in week one and came up acting like he pulled a cramp. Maybe he did. I don't fucking know. But this is a guy who shanked a 31-yarder. I'm okay giving my kicker, putting my trust in my soccer player because I know he can do it. And I don't trust that theirs can. So I'm going for it, the field goal, 64-yarder if I'm Doug Peterson. Fuck it. Let Jake Elliott give him a chance to put his name in the history books. If not, at least go for it on fourth and 12. But what does Doug Peterson do? He opts to punt rather than even attempt a field goal or to go for it on fourth down. He quit on this team with that decision. And you know, you know Jake Elliott wanted the chance to bury his former team. This is a guy we claimed off the Bengals practice squad, if you remember, when Caleb Sturgis was having injury problems. He's a former Bengal. They drafted him out of Memphis in, I believe, the fifth round. You think he didn't want the chance to bury his former team? With a history-making kick? Fuck yeah, he did. So to make the decision to not even go for it, this is a coach in Doug Peterson who has made a living. You want Philly Philly? Oh, yeah, let's do it. They put a a statue outside the link to commemorate 
his big balls and his aggressive mentality. Again, he put a book out that is called fucking Relentless, and I looked over at the sideline when they were before the Super Bowl started, and I thought, looking at Bill Belichick, I'm going to kick your ass today. This is a guy that made it a trend, a trend to go for it on fourth down, and he's okay with punting the fucking game away. Not even trying. We're okay with playing for a tie now. Is what you told this team, is what you told this fan base after the start to the season that you have had. He took a shit on everybody in that locker room, and he took a shit on everybody in this fan base with that decision. Just my opinion. I don't even know what the other side of it is. If you are the guy that makes a living off of going for it constantly on every fourth down, uh, for going for fucking two point conversions when it's unnecessary. If you're that guy, you don't get to be conservative in that moment. When you're playing for there's possibly the season is on the line. This team is 0-2. And now because of that decision, we have a hockey record. We're not 1 and 2, we're not even 0 and 3. We're 0-2 and 1. 0-2-1 because Doug Peterson in a big moment when the pressure's on him now and you got to believe the, the, the proverbial flames on his hot seat are heating up after this. I don't think Jeff Lurie gets rid of him. I don't look at his track record. And I don't even know that it's the right move to fire Doug Peterson. I'm not saying that. I'm never going to be the guy that calls for somebody's job just to be – comment section dipshit unless I've got a plan in place and as I look at it right now I don't know that there is another plan in place for right now I know Deuce Staley looks good as a a head coaching option but I digress that's a conversation for later I'm not firing Doug yet but this fan base and the media are up his fucking ass as they should be you cannot make that decision you cannot just be okay with playing for a tie. Let me tell you a story. <clears throat> and I don't want to get too down a rabbit hole here. But a couple years ago when I was coaching, uh, let's just call them because their name can no longer be mentioned, um, much like uh, the Washington football team. Uh, I was coaching, my son was playing for uh, the Fox Hill football team, let's just call them, okay? Local 757 people will know what I'm talking about. And, um, you know, there were a lot of factors that went into uh, that season playing out the way they did. I'm not going to get into them right now. It could take hours. Maybe in the off season, I'll do a couple episodes, get my guy Kendall on, and we'll talk about it because it is an enthralling story. But nonetheless... Uh, 10 game schedule. Okay. We were 0 8 going into the ninth game of the season uh, against the Phoebus Phantoms. This is 11 to 13 year olds. Okay. And without delving completely into everything, it was just a poorly run organization by that point when he and I took over as coaches. And we uh, had issues um, with, with, 
fielding a full roster, let's just say. And it does not matter how passionate you are or how what your knowledge level is. If you do not top the bottom in any, whether it be, you know, youth football like this was, high school, college, all the way up to the NFL, if it's not solid structurally from the top to the bottom, everything else is irrelevant. Look at the teams that are constantly picking the top five at a draft every year. They're fucking disasters. Jacksonville, Detroit, Washington. So, you know, again, my brother-in-law told me Bill Belichick couldn't have won a game with his fucking team. I digress. So, ninth game of the year, we're playing a team, Phoebus, who was having similar issues to us um, in terms of player-wise. So, we had a 9 o'clock in the morning game. We get there to the field about 7.30, 7.45, walk-throughs, you know, shake the cobwebs off the pads, get loose the whole nine, stretch, right, make our way over to the field about 10 to 9, 8.45, 8.50, you know, the refs come over, they check the player's equipment, their cleats, their, you know, make sure they got a mouthpiece, the whole nine. So we're getting closer to 9 o'clock. We're, we're there lined up, ready to go, and – there's no sign of Phoebus. No sign. A uh, couple minutes go by, 9 o'clock comes closer. They make their way over there, and they've only got 10 players. So the ref comes over, and he tells me, he says, hey, so we're going to give it a few minutes. Um, we're going we're gonna to give it a few minutes, give the, you know, Give the last – I believe they were waiting on two guys. We're going to give the last couple players a few minutes to arrive. If they do not, we're going to have to call this game, and you guys are going to win by forfeit. So I go back over. I, I tell Kendall, who was – I was head coach. He was – assist. we ran things equally, though. I ran the offense. He ran the defense. And I went over, and I told him first. And we go over, and we tell the players, okay, here's the deal. You know, if – if these guys do not show up in the next five minutes or so, five, ten minutes, they're going to have to forfeit the game and we are going to win by forfeit. And you would have thought these kids, I don't know what excites kids now. Chuck E. Cheese doesn't work. I don't know. Fortnite. It, it, just a Fortnite jizz fest happened for these little fuckers because they were over the moon, dude. Over the moon. <laughs> You know, because, okay, we, we, get, we get to win. And it's like Kendall and I told these kids, look, that's cool. And I don't want to, not trying to play the role of Buzz Killington and Family Guy, but because we are from a different generation and because I grew up playing this game and coaching this game and being around this game in a competitive way, I'm not okay with taking a win by a forfeit. So you guys shouldn't be either. Whatever the outcome here, whether it be win or lose, I want it to be earned. And I fucking hate losing more than I love winning. But God damn it, that's what it's all about is line up and who's the better man? Who's the better team that day? I don't want to take a win by a forfeit at all. And I thought back to this instance yesterday after Doug Peterson just opted to punt and essentially just be okay with playing for a tie. 
Now, long story short, just for the end result of that, we lost that game and we were fucking 0-9 because the two kids showed up. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should have taken the forfeit. Maybe I shouldn't have played moral police guy. I don't fucking know. But it's very much something that I, I, I believe in and still do to this day. And, and I was, you know, it's just that's what it is, man. And I thought back to that yesterday as Doug Peterson punted the ball away and just thought, fuck, man. You know, what, what sort of message does does that send? I just don't think when you're a guy, again, given his track record, you know, and he he come out today and he says, well, if I could do it all over again, I would have gone for it on the 4th and 12. No thought of even kicking the field goal. But, again, I, look, I would have been okay with the going for it on 4th and 12. It's fucking, it's something. You're not laying down and dying and just saying we are okay tying here. First of all, there should be no ties in football games, point blank. Okay, you know, maybe if that game goes a full, that overtime period still a full 15 minutes, maybe there's a different result. I don't fucking know. At this point, don't really fucking care. I'm not interested in the hypotheticals. Point being, in my opinion, Doug Peterson quit on this team yesterday after everything he preaches. Give me everything you've got. If you're a coach and you tell your kids, be disciplined, give me everything you got, you know, buy in, buy in. You have to give them the same in return. You have to. And you cannot expect them to go out there for you and put their bodies and their careers on the fucking line. And then you in crunch time go, I'm okay with being the same as the other team. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Carson Wentz, after the game, gives you the same old, I've got to be better. And again, I am I am still entrenched in the corner of number 11. But you got to stop saying, I've got to get better. You can't do that after these performances. You simply fucking cannot. Do not say it. Do it. Because at this point, you're a clown. You're making a joke of yourself. The I've got to be better shit is just, it's first of all, it's obvious. He keeps regurgitating that sentence every Sunday afternoon. Again, through three games, he's thrown six picks. Seven all year last year in 16 games. 58% completion percentage so far this year. 58. Sacked 11 times. Worst passing grade in the NFL. Tough to stand behind, man. Tough to stand behind. 58 completion percentage is just... It's one thing if... if it's one thing if you're hitting guys in the hands and hitting them in the numbers and, and they're dropping it, Jordan Matthews style. I it, Look, then that's on them. And, yes, that affects your completion percentage when you're a quarterback, but he's just straight up missing guys. And it, it he'll, he'll, he'll do it once or twice a game. If you've been an Eagles fan longer than 10 minutes, you know that. But it's happening too regularly now. This is a guy that's been in the league five years. He can't – he should not be getting outplayed by a rookie whose third game it is in the NFL with no preseason behind a poor offensive line. That should not be happening. Joe Burrow looked better than Carson Wentz yesterday. There were flashes from Wentz where you saw what he could do, where he put the team on his shoulders, and he gets you to overtime, despite his fuck-ups earlier in the game. Again, say what you want. You compare him to whoever you want. The comp for me on Carson Wentz is a Brett Favre. He's a bigger Brett Favre. He will win you games and make plays for you that have you just fucking awestruck. 
And then he will turn around and he'll do the dumb shit. He'll throw across his body on you. The poor fundamentals at times. And he'll leave you scratching your head and going, what the fuck is going through your head, dude? That was Brett Favre. That was Brett Favre. He'll make that pass to Greg Lewis in the back of the end zone with Minnesota against the Niners, I believe it was. And then he'll turn around and he'll throw across his body on you in the Bounty Gate game in the NFC Championship game. And Justin is cringing right now. <laughs> I, have, I have given Justin PTSD twice now, bringing up Minnesota NFC Championship failures today. The first one was when I brought up the Gary Anderson one in 98 and the Chris Chandler shitty Super Bowl that even at 10 years old, I knew this is not <laughs> this is not right. This is not right. So Carson has some of that in him, man. And and if if you're gonna ride with the good, you gotta die with you gotta ride with the bad too. And I'm a Brett Favre guy. You know, I think he's one of the best to ever do it. Again, he'll make plays that nobody else in the league could, and he will do shit that will have you throwing shit at your television. You know, it's it's a very bipolar adventure. But he cannot keep going, I've got to be better. We don't want to hear that shit anymore. Don't talk about it. Fucking be about it. You got to at this point. There's too much at stake. Doug Peterson's postgame press conference was just nine minutes of uncomfortable. You know, the Philly media, man, they don't give a shit. They hammered him with questions about the decision to punt. Coach Peterson's body language was shit. His eyes were just wandering all around the room. You could tell he didn't want to be there. He's leaning against the podium. He's got a surly demeanor. I mean, again, you got to think that he knows the proverbial seat's heating up a bit. I wouldn't expect Jeff Lurie to fire Peterson given his track record, but Peterson knows this is unacceptable. Make no mistake about it. He knows this media market, as we've said, he – he knows. He was uncomfortable as shit in that postgame presser yesterday for a reason. Look at the body language. Ten ties in the NFL over the last 18 years. Only ten. Two of them have been Eagles and Bengals games, despite the fact that they only play once every four years. And it's funny because I it, it, we were, you know, yesterday – Oh, you know, the 0-2 jokes or whatever. And, and you know, basically the, 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 the family teams are, I'm an Eagles fan. You know, wife and the in-laws are Bengals fans. Uh, my mom is a Ravens fan because she's from Baltimore. My stepdad is a Vikings fan from Minnesota. Um, and it won't believe it was my stepdad. goes, hey, I'll be, anybody want it? You know, I'll bet, I'll bet it. You know, somebody's got to win today. You know, and I I had told him, I said, well, you know, an Eagles-Bengals game has ended in a tie before. That was the one where Donovan McNabb did not know that a game could end in overtime (laughs) or end in a tie because, fuck. Uh, And lo and behold, I mean, you know, it's just something you remember through all the years of whatever the fuck. And, and, you know, well, it happened before. Eagles-Bengals game ended in a tie. And, you know, wouldn't you know who won the pony, as Jim Cornette said. It ended in a fucking tie. The only only – Two of the ten ties in the last uh, 18 years were Eagles-Bengals games. And in those 18 years, the Eagles and Bengals have only played four times. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, again, man, go, going back to the, the Doug Peterson thing, it, it, can you imagine, it would have been nice, remember when the Eagles decided not to hire a real offensive coordinator this offseason? Remember that? And here we are still with Doug Peterson, the poor play calling, and, and just the – 
the refusal to run the ball and the poorly designed screen passes and everything else. Again, Miles Sanders yesterday, 5.3 yards a carry, and he only runs him 18 times. You, you got to – I don't know why Deuce Staley isn't in his ear. Did, Deuce is a big guy. Deuce needs to pin him in a corner and go, look, motherfucker, if you don't run my guys more, I'm going <laughs> to fucking, I don't know, shit in your lunch. I don't, I don't know. Something. But threaten his ass. I don't care. Because it's egregious. I think Doug Peterson's whole thing is, and again, he's a fucking terrible play caller. Just, just, I am convinced Doug Peterson, because he was a backup quarterback his entire career, I'm convinced he's just, with every pass play, I think he, in his mind, every pass play he calls adds a quarter inch to the end of his dick. I'm convinced. Because he feels like he's got to overcompensate because of the fact that he was like a shitty quarterback. You know, again, he hung around the league for a while and credit him for that. Okay, you don't get to the NFL by being a bum. But when you're a journeyman backup, you know, and you get a spot start here and there for Miami and, you know, Dan Marino in Miami, and you start the first nine games of the year in 99 when McNabb was a rookie because back then if you took a quarterback second overall, you sat him for fucking several weeks. Now we don't give a shit. We just throw him out there and let them sink or swim. But that's the way it was then, and that's what Doug Peterson was. And I'm convinced that's part of the reason why he's just so goddamn pass happy when he's got a running back that can do everything. And he refuses to run him and pound the ball and to force the defense into submission. Again, if you're an offensive lineman, I played offensive line for years, you would rather run block every fucking play than pass block because you get to fire off the line you get to hit somebody. That's how you get the offense going. So if you think back again, the Super Bowl year is kind of starting to feel like lightning in a bottle a little bit. Frank Reich, now the Colts head coach, John Filippo, Chicago's quarterback coach, and who, oh, by the way, Nick Foles with a comeback win over Atlanta yesterday, stepping in for Mitch Trubisky because if shit couldn't be any worse yesterday, Nick Foles would come in, invent a play in the huddle apparently, and end up throwing the game-winning touchdown past Anthony Miller to beat Atlanta, who shit away a big lead for the second week in the road. Dan Quinn should be fired immediately. But again, we punt, play for a tie. Nick Foles comes in and has the Bears at fucking 3-0. and Because just fucking why not? Why wouldn't that happen? You know, so again, it to me, it, 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 maybe Doug Peterson's not the offensive genius we all thought, it was, thought he was. Or some of us thought he was. Again, Frank Reich's gone. DiFilippo. Uh, that... That The thought of hiring a real OC, the fact that they didn't do that is even more blasphemous now watching this shit. You know, and again, so speaking of uh, – one more thing I wanted to touch on before we get the hell out of here. Jalen Rager, who was not good enough uh, or not, not healthy to play yesterday with a thumb, uh, he tweets out yesterday evening, I really will never understand how you can be outside looking in and talk so, so with uh, one, two, three, four O's. He really wanted to emphasize the so. I really will never understand how you can be outside looking in and talk so much, dot, 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 SMH. That was tweeted out at 8.49 p.m. last night, and he ended up deleting it. <laughs> and, and, I mean, I get he's not fucking wrong, really, man. And I love Jalen Rager. I love the pick, and I appreciate him supporting his teammates. But it you probably it's probably not a great call to send that out after that game. And it's even worse when Justin Jefferson, the guy the majority of the fan base was clamoring for in the draft, is coming off a seven reception, 175 yard and a touchdown game early in the afternoon. 
afternoon for Minnesota, albeit in a losing effort to Tennessee. It's just one of those like, oh, <laughs> just just turd on top of turd on top of turd. And eventually you just have an entire foundation of feces within a matter of hours. You know, again, the good thing right now, the silver lining, if there is one, the NFC East is still a mess. Nobody wants to win this motherfucker ever. Nobody wants to win this division. It sucks. It's an embarrassment. So here we are, and we're still in it, you know. So I can maybe the season isn't over. Mathematically, it doesn't look great. But, you know, 7-9 and nine might win this division, man. Think about this. We're currently sitting at 0-2-1, and, and we're only half a game back of first place. <laughs> Fucking, I mean – it's it's just mind-blowing, man, when you think about it. It really is. I think that, you know, again, it, it it the play calling has been an issue. This is not new. This is not new. Carson Wentz has to stop saying, I'll be better, and he's got to actually do it. Brandon Graham come out today and says, you know, we're sticking together, which he's a leader of the team. You want to hear that? We're always better when we're underdogs. Look, eventually the underdog thing has to stop for this team. You know, this is a team that won Super Bowl a couple years ago. Was a Super Bowl kind of contender this year. Like, you don't get to be the underdogs forever, you know? You don't get to be. There's expectations now. Remember Doug Peterson came out after the Super Bowl and goes, oh, this is the new norm, and then turns around yesterday and punts the game away and is okay with a fucking tie. Doesn't seem like it was the new norm. Seems more to me like it was lightning in a bottle. And I'm not trying to be Foles over Wentz guy because I I love Nick Foles. I was Foles over Vic guy, and then I became Wentz over Foles guy. It was the right decision. I do not give a fuck what you say. But my guy's got to do better, man. You can't you can't throw egregious picks and miss throw and come off the field smiling. You can't. You can't. And then go, oh, I got to be better. Of course you fucking do. Of course you fucking do. Primetime game next week, this coming Sunday night against San Francisco. Jimmy Garoppolo out. Uh, I don't know the health status of George Kittle off the top of my head. Nick Bosa out for the year. The Niners have a uh, just a, a, a plethora of injuries. They beat the hell out of the Giants yesterday because the Giants are just – you know, again, somehow we managed not to be the worst team in the NFC East. Mind fuck. But that goes to the Giants. But again, San Francisco, this is a team, man. There's still there's 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 stuff there, man. This dude, Nick Mullins, isn't doesn't appear to be, every time every time Jimmy G gets injured and Nick Mullins steps in, it seems like good shit happens. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he didn't get him to the fucking Super Bowl like Garoppolo did, but you know. They beat the Giants 36 to 9 yesterday. I'm not willing to pencil us to to lock us in for a win next week. Fuck no. Fuck no. But I hope so cuz the schedule doesn't get any easier. You, know, you got the Ravens. Hey, somebody got Steelers. I mean, this is the schedule the division as long as it does not get away from us. Okay, you can say there's a chance again. We look like this, man. I, it, this team's not going anywhere. I don't care if it wins the division and gets the like the the de facto NFC West seven and nine playoff spot from you know 
the Bradford year, whatever it was. I, I don't give a shit. You care the Marshawn Lynch because they beat, yeah, that was Seattle. He had the beast mode run. They had beat the Rams, Sam Bradford Rams, to win the division, beat the Saints in the playoffs with that beast mode run, and <laughs> won a playoff game and were still fucking eight and nine. <laughs> so, and again, I mean, I, say, I know they say all you need is a seat at the table, and now there's seven wild card teams. Dumb as fuck. Hate that rule, by the way. Stupid. But, you know, it, it can't keep being I got to get better maybe next week, maybe next week. Eventually next week runs out, and as Creighton's Clearwater Revival says, someday never comes. You know, the play calling has to get better. This team has to stop shooting itself in the dick constantly. Has to be a better showing against San Francisco. Again, the clock, it feels like yesterday, after yesterday, the clock is ticking on Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. I put more of the blame on Peterson, but again, Carson Wentz is not without blame as well. And I hope, I hope they both can turn it around on Sunday night. What say you? Hit me up at Greaseball Podcast on Instagram. Let me know your thoughts on yesterday's game. I'm sure I can figure out most everybody's thoughts. Who do you blame more, Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz? Uh, give me your thoughts. I lean more toward Peterson, but again, love my guy 11, but he does not without blame as well. He's got to get better. Yeah, no shit. Hopefully he does so before next Sunday night, prime time against whoever the hell is out there for the 49ers. Hopefully next time I talk to you, we got one in the win column. We got one in the loss column. We got two in the loss column. We've, we've got an extra column now, like hockey. Hopefully we can put one in that first column next time we have a conversation. That'll be episode 24. Thank you for checking out episode 23. Again, win, lose, or tie. <laughs> or punting the game away, being okay with a tie. God damn it. Go birds. Yo, how'd Barkley put it? <laughs> Looking like another grease pole night in Philly. 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 Philly.